0: Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. So our scripture as we continue in this imagination and spirituality series this summer, is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. So listen now for a word from God. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. In her wonderful and I would say groundbreaking book published in 1982 called Metaphorical Theology, Sally McFaig opens her work by explaining to people that when we have to talk about hard things, hard as in difficult or hard as in just tricky to pin down or understand, that's when we turn to our imaginations. She compares religion's tendency to speak in imaginative ways to being similar to poets, saying poets use metaphor all the time because they're constantly speaking about the great unknowns, mortality, love, fear, guilt, joy, hope, and so on. Faith is not all that different. In fact, those things are the territory of poets and often of the church. So when you want to talk about or when you, want, when you are experiencing things that are hard to put into words, humans often rely on our imaginations to help us out. And faith is full of hard things to understand. I mean, think about it. Faith is the territory of weddings and love, but also funerals and death. Faith engages those existential questions like, why are we here? Why is there evil in the world? What does it mean to be created human? Or how do I love? A spiritual life, um, if it's worth having, delves deep into the territory of our inner world, right? Our passions and our motives. And dare you try to speak simply or straightforward about any of those things? We often just, we can't. If we want to talk about these great unknowns, as Sally McFaig calls them, or perhaps the questions of life or God or love or pain, we're going to be in murky waters and we're going to need life rafts of sorts, right? Faith is more often than not where we turn to, not when the world makes sense, but when it doesn't. So what are the tools that the life of faith offers us as we wade through these waters um, of untraveled or choppy territory, When we need to express unwieldy thoughts about grief or joy or forgiveness, even love, how does faith equip us to enter that conversation? So to start to make better sense out of that, which can be quite confusing. In addition to our imagination, which we're going to talk about shortly, I I do think faith offers us many tools to do this, right, to wade through those waters of the ultimate issues, tools like prayer or silence or community. Um, But what McFaig is arguing in her book is that our imagination, specifically for her metaphors, are actually one of the essential building block tools for how we engage with our faith and those harder to understand parts of life. And it works like this, right? When something is hard to understand, we immediately as humans grab onto things that are less confusing. And in many ways, this is exactly what our imaginations offer us. Figurative language, images, metaphors. They allow us to grasp and compare things we know with things we don't know. McFay continues in her introduction. She says, most simply, a metaphor is seeing one thing as something else. It's pretending that this is that because we don't actually know how to think or talk about this, so we use that as a way of saying something about it. So thinking metaphorically or imaginatively means we're spotting a thread of similarity between two dissimilar objects, events or whatever, one of which is better known than the other, and using the better known one as a way of speaking about the lesser known one. That was a lot, right? (laughs) So like for our moment for creativity today, where we compared objects, and then we shouted out things that remind us of God in that object, we might have a hard time perhaps expressing our cravings for stability and trust in God. But we look at a rock and we say, I want God to be as firm as a rock or perhaps God showed up for us like a candle on a dark night. When we need to articulate a harder-to-articulate idea or experience, and faith is full of those, we are graciously handed other things, even everyday type of things, to bridge that gap. And there are so many examples of this in the Christian faith. Honestly, you could listen to the whole series on the podcast on baptism that we did last year. And it's sermon after sermon showing how creative we got how creative all of us got and God got with water, how often we use water, something we know really well to express all sorts of things that we're curious about in our faith. Like, what does it mean to clean not just what's outside, but what's inside? Or how can our acts of justice be as powerful as a river? We had a lot of fun with that, with water in the spring of 2021. Uh, But today we're actually going to pivot over to the other sacrament that uses a metaphor that invites us to use our imagination. And like, I'm sure you caught the hint with the scripture we started with, it's gonna be communion. And like McFaig told us, when something is less familiar to us, we're trying to figure it out or explain it to someone else. We use familiar items, objects, experiences. So on the night he was betrayed, <laughs> Jesus was sharing a pretty big experiences with his disciples, right? He was about to be killed. They were about to have their world upended. A friend was set to become an enemy. The religious establishment had blood on their hands. How do you help people wrestle with all of that? How do you comfort them amid such chaos? How do you give them something to hold on to? Everything that was about to happen would be put into that hard-to-understand category we talked about. So, Jesus reaches for the bread and the cup. He grabs onto something from their very life. He grabs onto a metaphor. He's going to explain these hard events with less hard items his disciples use and interact with every day. He helps them understand that his death is not the end of his ministry. His ministry and presence goes on through their shared eating of the bread. their sharing that bread at the table. They're gathering together. The bread is his body, full of nutrition, present at gatherings. It's an act of hospitality and inclusion. Jesus might die tomorrow, but his ministry will live on. Then Jesus pours out the cup, and he tells them that the cup represents a new covenant, a new commitment with God. When Jesus' blood is spilled, that's it. We've we've hit an all-time low. We've welcomed death where it should never have been, But in this new covenant, God is still going to show up at the meal and be with us to offer us a drink to parch our thirst. Drinking the cup at this meal is like drinking in the reminder that God shows up even in the darkest time. That's the commitment. That's the new covenant. Death cannot stop the presence and the succor of God. And the thing about really good metaphors or well-exercised imaginations just like the parables we talked about last week, is that they can actually hold many different meanings. They can be passed down. They can be expanded on. Our imaginations can run wild. So contrary to most people's assumptions, the passage that we read today is not even actually found in the Gospels, right? The Gospels are those four narratives um, about Jesus's life where we read the stories of the Last Supper in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This passage is not from those familiar gospels where we read about them gathering that night and having their first of many last suppers. Nope, this particular passage that we read today is actually in a letter that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, which would have been written decades after that first meal. But the first meal still calls their imagination and their attention. It's a good metaphor. So the church in Corinth isn't doing great particularly when they are gathering in community and sharing food and sharing the Lord's meal. They're not taking care of those who are poor. The wealthy are eating and drinking at these gatherings, even getting drunk. And the poor, the workers, those who are showing up later after their jobs are finished, they're going hungry. The breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, Paul worries, are not being respected. They've stopped using their imagination and understanding of what the bread and cup truly communicate. So, Paul uses this metaphor to help the community members better respect each other. He calls them to be conscientious of who needs to eat and when. He asks them to set a more equitable table. Is this the exact usage of the bread and cup metaphor that Jesus offers in the gospel narratives? Maybe not. When Jesus offered the meal, it was more about comfort for the loss they were about to encounter. It was a reminder that Jesus's ministry goes beyond his death into his resurrection. But Paul is talking about a hard thing too, right? Sharing and inequality and greed. And he uses the common meal of Christ to help the Corinthians understand just how essential community care for each other is. What might be hard for them to understand or value is made easier to understand through the imagination of this meal and the generosity at the table that Jesus' example sets from the very beginning. Paul reminds them to imagine what this meal means for the kingdom of God. You've heard these words from 1 Corinthians spoken over and over again, right? I speak Paul's words every week to you. This is my body. It's yours. This is the cup. It's a new covenant. Remember me. But I want to know where your imagination goes when you hear this. What do you understand of this table? Honestly, I hope you don't feel the pressure to be right when I ask that question. The disciples in many ways had no idea what Jesus was talking about when he stood up and said these things. They couldn't see the future, but they were still invited to the table still asked to imagine jesus and his ministry like a meal jesus's body like a steady supply of nutrition jesus's blood like a commitment to endure jesus's table like the community of god they were asked to use their imaginations as a bedrock of their faith so what do you imagine when you eat this meal when you partake of communion I imagine it probably changes week to week, or maybe spiritual season to spiritual season. At different times in my life, it's been important for different reasons. I remember when I was a young mother, my mentor at the time, Joyce McKeekin Walker, um, reminded me that this is a table I don't have to set. (laughs) You know, a young mother needs to hear that. It's a meal that I'm not in charge of making, God is the host, I am the guest and I can take a moment to be fed instead of feed my babies. How does God fill your stomach and slate your thirst here? Because I want to remind you that as often as you eat the bread and as often as you drink the cup, you proclaim and live into and better understand the Lord's death until he comes again. And just imagine what it's like for Jesus to come alive in us again. Amen.